Hey everybody, welcome to the Decoding Cocktails podcast. I'm your host, Chris LeBeau. The goal of this show is to understand the inner workings and evolution of mixology, hospitality, and community. As I further my own knowledge of the field, I'm inviting you to join me. You'll hear me interview people from around the industry about their work and beliefs. If you like what you hear, the best way to keep up is to subscribe via the podcast app you use. And if you think others will like this, I invite you to share an episode or write a review. Your words help grow our audience. And you can keep up with the latest news via our newsletter, Cocktail Confidential, or see what we're working on via Instagram. And please reach out. I'd enjoy hearing what you liked, learned, and what else you'd like to see me dig into. So let's get into it. What's happening, everybody? It is right after January, the start of 2022. And as I move into a new year of podcasts. One of the things I heard from people, a quick note on the show's evolution is for the people that know me well, they're like, man, you feel a little uh, a little buttoned down while you're recording. So I'm going to attempt to relax, have a good time more when I'm recording, um, and not fret so much about whether this thing's going to turn out well. So I hope you enjoy this slightly... Uh, uh, slightly more connected to me uh, expression of this show. So with that, being February 1st, as I record this, it is the end of the so-called dry January period. And that actually had me thinking about a couple of things. My guest earlier this month, Annie O'Donohue of Sandsbar STL, uh, as someone who is working to help kind of raise awareness about alcohol abuse problems is, you know, as people say, people always are as someone who is in recovery herself. But uh, what I, one of the things that has stuck with me is Annie's talk about mindful drinking. And with that, it got me thinking more about, um, and while there there are certainly exceptions to everything, it got me thinking about uh, the chef Dan Barber, who's out of New York, talks about that flavor he feels should be the ultimate indicator in what people ultimately eat and how we grow food. It shouldn't necessarily always be, uh, he says, what has gotten us to where we are is agriculture's focus on yield. How much can we grow as opposed to does it taste great. And that got me thinking about cocktails and and just drinking in general. How often is drinking a passive activity versus an active one that we're engaged in? And sometimes when I think about the things that we are drinking when we're not being as mindful, sometimes those are things that aren't designed to be rich in flavor. They're often very low in alcohol, very low in flavor, um, and for those people out there that like a seltzer, let's just use it as an example. Frankly, I find them to be pretty, um, a lot of the time, I don't find them to be super flavorful. But they're great because they're low in alcohol, and you can certainly just sit around and drink them for a while and not uh, not get in trouble. And 
there is absolutely a time and place for that. But when I think about Annie's goal of raising awareness and the, the, the world of flavor and the role of NA drinks out there in the world, how often should it be that perhaps we go out, we have a great cocktail, we have a great craft beer, but is there that transition point in an evening, an afternoon, whatever, when you think, hey, I think I've had my fill, I'm going to switch over here at this point. Um, because this doesn't have to always be about one more of that, that at some point you can have had enough and switch to something else. I was out with some friends at a happy hour, and I had kind of already made the decision that night being January. I didn't keep a clean, dry January at all, but I was like, that night I was like, you know what? I don't need anything tonight. And I walked in in order to Diet Coke and sat down, but a number of the guys I was sitting with, they were all drinking uh, Bush N.A. beers. And I had one, and what I, what I think of, what it made me think about actually, uh, a couple of my good friends, uh, when I visit them, they often, while they love all sorts of desserts, on a typical night, they'll have a, a couple of bites of, of rich chocolate at the end of, of a meal. And while even after those bites of rich chocolate, I would still love a piece of cake or cookies or whatever, it has quieted the cravings that I have post-dinner for something sweet. And that's kind of ultimately what uh, that Bush N.A. beer did is. Uh, I wasn't looking to tie one on or get crazy that evening. It was more... My body really had a craving similar to what we might have for dessert or coffee or whatever. And I gave it something that was very similar to it. And it said, okay, thanks, I'm good. So where I'm at in addition to that, that I'm kind of eyeballing right now, um, I've been thinking, you know, because after that moment, and it wasn't the first NA beer I've ever had, but I actually went out to the store and I bought for myself uh, a 12-pack of Bush N.A. at that point. Uh, the other night, I work part-time at a cocktail bar here in St. Louis, and I got home at 11, 11.30. And, you know, after working a full shift, my body was still feeling a little bit wired, and yet I cracked one of those Bush N.A. beers, had it, and went to bed, and, and that was the end of that. And... Where I am right now and I'm thinking about is, I wonder how many people are very open to this, but frankly, maybe they've had something alcohol-free before, but it was in passing, they didn't really think about it, and presented with a suite of options, might they find something where they go, you know what, this really does hit the spot in a great way, and is it the kind of thing that if suddenly we have tasty, alcohol-free options in our home, are we more likely presented with it to be like, you know what, it's not me having to wrestle with, am I going to have a Sprite or a or a daiquiri? It's, oh, am I going to have a daiquiri or a Bush and a beer? Or, of course, there are all the uh, alcohol-free alternative spirits out there, too. And I wonder if and when presented with a fleet of options across the wines, the beers, the spirits, if it's the kind of thing where suddenly, um, as opposed to 
hoping that they end up with that on their shelf, that they'd be more likely to be say, you know what, I'm going to grab one of those. So that's something I'm eyeballing and likely I'm going to make happen. And if and when it does, I'll be sure to share the feedback on what they, what kind of came of that discussion. Second, uh, as we move into the month of February, uh, here in the city of St. Louis with uh, deep French roots, uh, Mardi Gras is something that looks like it will probably happen this year at the end of the month. And I recently, and I don't even remember the exact genesis. Uh, well, no, I do actually. Now I think about it. I was fortunate to have the, have the opportunity to present on TV, which is always good for exposure to a new audience and validating in terms of people saying, oh, he's been on TV. Maybe he's, he must be worth and reasonable to hire. But as I was thinking about something appropriate to present on a four or five minute segment, I thought about over and over again in this cocktail world, I learned that a lot of the drinks that I think of as bad really at times are more the reality that they haven't been presented well or with good ingredients in the past. And so that led me to thinking, what about the hurricane? Because I think I've had a hurricane maybe twice in my life. One time was definitely at Mardi Gras. And uh, I remember distinctly that the batches they were trucking in uh, had uh, Monster, the energy drink in them. And I'm not really a fan of the flavor of most energy drinks to begin with. But I just remember thinking, wow, this is sugary garbage. And so that was the last I ever thought of one. And I thought, well, who who is doing an interesting take on this? Is anybody? Or is it a drink that's simply unsalvageable? And as always seems to happen, I discovered, oh, yep, there are people out there that have made interesting attempts on this. And so from a bar called Canaan Table, which is down in New Orleans, not far at all from the home of the hurricane, which I believe is a bar called Pat O'Brien's, uh, they were looking for something that was dignified, not not sweet, that they would feel proud serving. And so as they, as the owner, whose name I don't recall, said when he was really digging into things, he discovered that there were there was a syrup that kind of existed around the time of it, and its recipe was proprietary, whether it was good or not, as a whole other thing too. But I believe, uh, and the term is kind of a, a French-style name, which despite my French last name, but it's called a fascionola syrup. And when he created his own rendering of this fascionola syrup, it was essentially a simple syrup infused with passion fruit. Now, passion fruit is kind of seems to always be a dominant ingredient you're going to find in just about any decent hurricane. Uh he put a little bit of guava in there. And then because neither of those things are red and a hurricane is red, he also infused it with hibiscus. And one, that was for color, but second, tea does carry in general a little bit of an astringency, a bite with it. And so I created this fascionola syrup. And then I really started to actually stare at the recipe. And after a moment, it was very clear to me you know, I, I'm always harping on cocktail families, uh, whether it's a daisy, an old-fashioned, 
martini family. But in this case, it was actually a derivative of the sour, so closely related to a daiquiri, a gimlet, etc. So a traditional daiquiri being, you know, this could vary a little bit based on who's making it, but two ounces typically of a dry white rum, three quarters of an ounce of lime juice, and three quarters of an ounce of simple syrup. This guy, three quarters of an ounce lime juice, instead of our simple syrup, three quarters of an ounce of this fasciunola syrup, and one and a half ounces of a dry white rum, and a half ounce, getting us to two ounces, of a bolder, funkier Jamaican rum. It's been, it was, so one, you guys, it's really, really good. But it's funny to me, in a city that does celebrate Mardi Gras pretty hard, and a lot of people I know, having been there, at least in their younger years, having at some point not made good decisions while they're there, even me handing something like this to them, and them often saying like, oh, hey, I, I trust you, people not wanting to believe that it was going to be good. And when they take a drink, they're just like, wow. So always a good reminder for me that when in doubt, there's a good chance a drink that I don't think is really worth anything probably can be represented in a really, really beautiful way. The The other thing, and kind of just another call to action for people out there. Uh, so the other day, I had a cocktail class, and uh, my host, it turns out I'd known her, although when she called, and this was way back from college, I did not recognize her married name. And so we were talking and uh, she informed me someone I knew was going to be in class. Well, it turned out that in addition to her, I would end up knowing seven of the eight people in class. But uh, this isn't necessarily a story about them as much as that uh, we all know each other in college. And one, bad decisions are made in college often. But second, that even compared to today, the quality of what was on the market then is just so much crappier. And for them, it was interesting to not only talk about the college bars we went to, but to really think about um, that many of the the things I could still see trapped in their brains, not being as deep in the cocktail pool as me, which is, hey, totally fine. But for them, when I presented them with a daiquiri, we talked about mezcal. Uh, some of these things, you know, are just still foreign to people because we've had bad tequila experiences, bad rum experiences, bad whiskey experiences, bad gin experiences. I think gin is a real, real common one that I think has rubbed people the wrong way from drinking really bad, really juniper forward gin just imprints itself on people's minds that they don't like it. So this is my call to action for people out there. And please, if you need bottle or drink recommendations, reach out to me. But unless you have a visceral reaction to something that will not let you try something, and if you do, I'm very sorry. And, you know, you do you, no big deal. But I am uh, one of the gals who was even at this evening there was a, uh, a a barrel rested gin there and she was like oh my god like 
that I, I, I love this gin. Like, it doesn't remind me anything of what I'm thinking of from college. So the quality of spirits out there is so much higher right now. Uh, the caliber of cocktails out there, the available of good recipes is so much higher that if there's something you are not as inclined to purchase at the store as a category, uh, I would just encourage you to do some research, to reach out to me, but expand your boundaries a little bit because often you will be surprised by what is actually out there. You don't think of yourself as a gin person, give yourself a chance. You don't think of yourself as a tequila person, give yourself a chance. So that's my appeal for broadening your horizons. So finally, something I've been thinking about for a while now is uh, I feel so lucky that at the end of my classes, one of the things I hear the most, in addition to, oh my God, I've had so much fun. The second thing is I've learned so much, I don't know how I'm going to remember all of this. And I've been walking around this for a while, and the solution hasn't been totally beyond me, but where I'm at right now and trying to work on pretty in a dedicated fashion is building out a uh, a pre-taped on-demand course offering. And this would be the kind of thing that after a class could be a good refresher, but also if we've never met um, or if arranging a uh, class hasn't been something that's really been uh, of interest or that you wanted to do, this would be something you could take on your own and would design to kind of cover those six entry uh, root cocktails. And of course, within that, breaking down what is the role of lemons? What is the role of limes? What role does syrup actually play in a cocktail? So not just how to make drinks, but actually, I really see it as a chance for you to understand why drinks work the way they do. When we see grenadine in a cocktail, so that's a pomegranate syrup, but in addition to that, for us to recognize, okay, so in addition to adding pomegranate flavor, that's kind of the agent that's helping to bind together uh, the whiskey and the lemon juice in the case of this uh, Ward 8 cocktail, if that's the correct cocktail name. So it is my hope that the other thing that this is helping me do is, admittedly, and I can see this from class to class, based on the questions that come up in class, in part determines what we cover. So this will be uh, a multi-hour course broken down into digestible videos where especially the video making the drink itself will be designed to be very brief. But the context surrounding each one of these will be there so that for those that really feel called to understand more and more how uh, a drink works, how to think about a particular set of ingredients, be that bitters or liqueurs, to get a really different, uh, to get a little bit of a cursory understanding of, okay, What's the difference between a Blanco and a Reposado tequila in some way? That is where I'm hoping this course will go. So that way, whether we've never met or I've been in class, uh, I can kind of always be there imparting 
knowledge. So my request to you, dear listener, uh, for those who have been in my class and for those, frankly, that uh, we have not met before, I'd love to know in particular from people who've been to class, man, what is the thing that you you wish I would be able to revisit or fill in even at greater depth? Because, you know, frankly, when we get together for 90 minutes or two hours and there's also a lot going on, there's only so much that can be covered. And so while in-person classes or virtual, you know, live classes really offer a level of connectivity, I do believe there's a level of depth that this will be able to explore that, frankly, um, we can't in a larger group class and one that's also bound by a lot of variables happening. So that is something I would request that you think about. Uh, If something comes to mind, uh, please uh, feel free to ping me, uh, chris at decodingcocktails.com. Would love to hear what is on your mind Because also, if this course does go well, I could see it being the foundation for a broader teaching platform, uh, perhaps offering a class entirely on agave or a class entirely on Spanish sherry, uh, a class totally on, you name it, whiskey. And so I hope that's the kind of thing where in my job of going out and learning things and hopefully distilling them in a way that is to the point, interesting and helpful, but not bogging you down in all the details that, frankly, some people just don't feel as called to learn. Um, I think that'd be a pretty fun way to spend some of my time. So, thanks for listening this week and uh, hope to see you again real soon and we'll be back with an interview next time.